0: This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackabee.org.
1: Well, welcome back to the Richard Blackabee Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host, and helping... Take our leadership to the next level. I have Dr. Richard Blackaby, for whom the podcast is named.
0: Welcome, sir. It is always good to be with you, Sam. I can't, uh, oh, I can't uh, exaggerate that too much.
1: Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> It cannot be overstated. I'm sure. Um, yeah, but uh, we've had a we've had a nice uh, week off yeah. here recently, and it shows. And this is about the <laughs> third time I've <laughs> attempted
0: to introduce this podcast. You're, you're a little too relaxed today, Sam. I know. That's, I know. Well, we we got to give you less vacations. I know. Kind of, you come back all loosey goosey afterward.
1: Exactly, well rested and and.
0: But uh, you to got go. a four-year-old and a one-year-old at the beach. It's rest probably is not. No, the vacation right is weather. not
1: really the right term. It's <laughs> it's uh, you know here's a place that we also have to wrangle our kids <laughs> yeah, but and just it was in, good. involve a, involve the beach. Yeah. Well, um, last podcast we we introduced your upcoming book, The Ways of God. And uh, I'm really excited about this, and we've 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 filmed some some little videos for that as well, that uh, folks have probably have already seen on your social media and on the Blackaby social media. But you know, this is a book that I'm that I'm excited about. I know you are, and uh, I think one of the things when when you talk to folks about God and and who He is and how He acts, you know, I think something that uh, probably most often um, is brought up is, is how I think confused people are by, um, how God does things or, or why he does things. And, and I feel like typically, you know, there's these questions of like, well, you know, if, if God is so loving, then how come this evil thing happened? Or, you know, you can, you know, the problem of pain and and all these things that we don't necessarily need to get into. But I think, I think one of the, 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 the most difficult things for people to to handle is is just understanding that they don't understand who God is. Yeah. They have all these misconceptions yeah. they bring to the table. And you
0: may have been a Christian for a long time and been in church for a long time, and yet still you you don't even realize how many false uh, views of God and his ways you picked up along the way. Right. And uh, in in the book, uh, early on, one of the early chapters, we just take a moment to talk about some of the most common misconceptions that, uh, that people have toward God. And I thought maybe just start with some of those. Um, because I think, I, I think the typical Christian probably wouldn't think that if I said, you know, you, you there's a lot of people who have misconceptions of, how God does things, most people are not going to say, Oh yeah, that's probably me. You know, I, no, yeah. they, we don't think that. And yet, yeah, those you, other people do, but not yeah, me. there's some people who really need to hear this message. But, uh, and so let me just begin by just highlighting some of those. Uh, and, um, and, uh, well, and I would
1: say too, before you get started is, you know, this is also, I think it's easy to sort of say like the world has misconceptions about God, but you know, it sounds like there's also Christians who have missed right. and you know and this is so that's the really that. dangerous thing you know right.
0: you, you expect unbelievers to have false views of of God but God's people who have probably multiple bibles in their home and go to church on a regular basis you would think that they would have a more accurate view and yet it's yeah. always interesting to me when i hear christians begin to uh, wax eloquent about how, how they think god is going to act or how he's going to respond to what they're doing and the more they talk, the more you realize, well, I don't think they're talking about the God I know because yeah. that's just not what God does. And so the first, uh, the first model that I mentioned is just what I call the Greek God model. And of course, if you're familiar with the Greek gods of ancient, uh, Greece, um, they were, a uh, uh, very, uh, lustful, uh, prideful, thin-skinned lot Vendip. living on Mount yeah. Zeus, on the Mount Zeus or Mount Olympus. Just, yeah, um, and uh, Zeus, of course, was the the chief of the gods, and uh, and part of his role was to kind of keep some order uh, to the universe and to uh, and to bring about justice uh, when there was a, a need for it. And that all sounds great, except that what's interesting about the Greek gods is that they they tended to be actually more immoral than the average person uh zeus for instance was constantly sleeping around he was constantly pursuing other women even though he's married to a goddess himself and many of his children uh some of his famous children like uh, i think apollo and uh athena and and, uh, and hercules were all uh procreated with other other women than his wife um And many of the kind of superheroes in in Greek lore were the result of of Zeus sleeping around. And you would think, um, you know, and it's interesting. There was an Oracle of Delphi where you could go, and and if you really kind of needed wisdom or knowledge of the future or decision about what you should do, um, you could go to this famous Oracle that was kind of uh, guided by one of the Greek gods, but. Um, but it it never really gave you moral advice. It never really told you how you should live. It would kind of give you insights into the future, maybe a cryptic kind of message you had to kind of figure out. Uh, but the Greek gods didn't delve out a lot of just moral guidelines. Uh, if they had, they'd have all been hypocrites because none of them followed them. Uh, and you realize, well, this is kind of, if people were inventing their gods, this is the kind of gods they would have. Uh, you know, if you're, uh, it's always interesting to me how I see people that will do this. Uh, they'll, they'll shift their God, uh, to, uh, to basically condone the things that they're doing. So if yeah. you're an adulterer uh, yourself, then you begin to think that God just is the author of love and, uh, he wouldn't have given you this love for this other woman if, uh, if he didn't want you to pursue it and, and, uh, enjoy it and so on. And, uh, and I've, I've known where there were people that had very biblical conservative views about maybe sexual behavior and that kind of thing. And then when maybe one of their children got involved in that kind of behavior, all of a sudden they changed their view of God and their God was malleable. Now, yeah. now God is loving and he's not uh, condemning and and basically we kind of fashion our god uh to suit what we want to do yeah and uh and that's what the greeks did it was man-made religion at its most creative if not the its best um where now you have a god that just really reflects a lot of our own desires and uh passions they're just stronger than us and immortal so they do it on a grander scale, but yeah. uh, and they never condemn us for things that we really want to do anyway and Of course, we could also do that by just church shopping <laughs> you know i I remember years and years ago I was a pastor and and uh a young woman uh fell in love with a guy who was not a christian, and um she assumed that I would not do her wedding because uh he, she was marrying someone who clearly was not a believer, and I probably didn't, wouldn't have done it. I, that's not normally what I would do. Um, but she never even asked me. She, she just, she assumed that the answer would be no. And so she and her entire family just left the church. Now they could have talked with me about it. We could have searched the scriptures to see, well, what does God's word say? You know, how does God feel about uh, a Christian woman marrying someone that's clearly not a believer at all, but it was just easier to go down the street and find a church that, that, uh, didn't, view god that way that mm-hmm. saw god as much more loving and inclusive uh and we do that a lot a lot of our church shopping is basically just trying to find a church that represents a god the way we want Him to be represented and uh, and so that's you know one of the ways it's just a greek god model that we without even realizing it we begin to impose our biases our passions our desires onto god and suddenly, our God is okay with whatever it is we really want to, right. to do ourselves. Uh, and so that's the first one. The second one would just be God, what I call God in a bottle, and that's kind of uh, sort of referencing Aladdin and his magical lamp. And of course, when Aladdin would rub the lamp, a genie would come out, give him his uh, grant his wish. And oftentimes, we treat God much like a genie in a bottle. Yeah. Um, instead of rubbing a lamp. We just have to exercise faith. We just have to believe, and we'll get what we want. And of course, many many TV evangelists promote that kind of uh, view of God, where he basically is there for us. He's there to grant us our wishes. He he wants us to be healthy and happy, and uh, and to have a, a new car and and a nice house. and And so, all we have to do is believe, and um, we'll get what we want. And again, that's. Uh, in one form or another, sometimes that's to an extreme, but I think a lot of us have at least some of that in us where, when we just say, well, God's always there for me, uh, you know, God, uh, wants me to be happy. Uh, when God doesn't grant us that job that we applied for, uh, when the love of our life turns us down cold and when we propose or, uh, we can come back to God and say, "Well, wait a bit, that's not how it's supposed to work <laughs> you're I was supposed to believe in you, and you grant me what I want. uh what I asked for uh did I just not believe enough? Did I not have enough faith uh and essentially, it's just well' rub that bottle some more, rub that lamp some more yeah and uh and and believe uh more than you have been and and then maybe God will grant that to you now then a third uh, misconception is what I just call the laissez faire view of God, which is there is, there is a God. He's just not involved. Uh, he's got way more important things to do than be involved in our personal ordinary life. And, uh, and that's of course in the 18th century, uh, there were deists, people like, uh, Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. If, if they would have probably told you they believed in the God, but that God created this whole universe and established laws like the laws of gravity and so on uh and then he just kind of like just they called it like a great clockmaker. he he built this system this universe and he created people and everybody uh follows certain laws and and so your job was just to develop reason uh use your brain figure out what the, the god's principles are that he's He's wired into the universe. And then just uh, be wise about your decisions. And God gave you a brain and God gave you the ability to reason. And so uh, it's just up to you. So there's no sense of God personally guiding us, answering our prayers. No sense of a Holy Spirit that's uh, speaking to us and alerting us uh, to danger and convicting us of sin. It was just a, a laissez-faire. Uh, God just kind of got the thing going and now it's up to us to make the best of it. Uh, and that, and there are many agnostics uh, that would, would fit that category. They, they would believe there, there may well be a God, but you can't really know him. You can't have a personal relationship with him. And I would also say that there is also a substrata of, uh, of Christians that would hold to something similar to that kind of view where uh, there are those who just believe that God gave you a bible so uh you can read the book and find out what God's laws are, what his commandments are. But they really shy away from God actually being personally involved in your life. If you say that God guided me to to this job or God spoke to me about doing this, uh they start breaking out in hives. Uh they they just get really Uh, Nervous about you talking as if God actually gets involved in your life, and and people will say, "Well, God doesn't need to speak to you. He gave you the Bible. Just read what the Bible says." But again, of course, the Bible nowhere in there does it ever say, "Sam Camp, you ought to work for Blackaby Ministries International. You should marry Carrie Blackaby." None of that stuff's in there. You and so what, in essence, what they're saying is, "Well, we can get principles from the Bible. We can get certain broad commandments." But, but God does not guide us specifically. So we're just yeah. going to have to figure we it work out. out itself. the details. Like, yeah, pros God and cons. Basically that. make a lot of decisions the way uh, mm-hmm. a, a moral atheist would. Uh, we don't want to break any commandments in the process, but, uh, but we don't have any more help in making decisions than an atheist would have. It's yeah. all up to us. And so, again, it's a, it's a laissez-faire where, uh, well, we've got a Bible. Now we've got to take it from there and and so god even for chris some christians god is not very involved personally uh in your life and uh and so much of, of the weight of our decisions falls on us once again and then there's a, a fourth kind and this is the opposite of the lazy ferret. it's what i call a totalitarian god and that's someone that uh, then there there's a whole strata of christians who believe that God, uh, determines everything that, uh, before time began, he decreed, uh, what would be, and it's going to be that way. And, and, uh, there are those who believe they have a very, very high view of God in the sense that they believe God determines everything, that nothing in your life happens by chance, by your decision, whatever happens in your life, it was already determined by God. Um, and they, they almost kind of fear that if, if you are allowed any free will at all, uh, you know, if you, if you decided whether to have cornflakes or Cheerios this morning for breakfast, that somehow that infringes on the sovereignty of God, um, that somehow that lessens God, if, if he's granted you any freedom at all to choose anything. And so, I mean, when you take that to an extreme, which is what you have to do is such a, with such a viewpoint then what they would have difficulty with are things like, well, then when you choose to sin, I mean, did you have a choice? Uh, Mm -hmm. If everything in your life, every decision uh, has been predetermined, then that means God also predetermined you to sin, to be rude to your wife, to to lose your temper with your child, uh, to watch pornography, to uh, overeat and become obese. You know, if God uh, decreed that you're going to be obese. <laughs> There's no point in trying a diet, uh, or exercising because God's already determined that for whatever reason you're going to be fat. And so that's just how it's going to be. It takes all responsibility away from you. Uh, and these people, they, they want to, um, they feel like they're, they they have a very high view of God that, uh, you know, we just think God is so powerful and, so mighty that um everything that happens he's uh, ordained but the problem is i don't think god wants to take any credit for the sins and the bad choices that we make that that yeah. doesn't glorify him a holy god would never do that would never you know holy god would never decree that you're going to you know cheat on your income taxes uh and and so that you have to sin now you have to do something wrong uh that you have no choice uh, I think it's just the opposite. I think God is so powerful that he can give you, uh, a realm of, of choices to make, uh, and God still remains perfectly sovereign. So, you know, God can say, okay, you, uh, you repent of your sin, you place your faith in, in Christ and, uh, you'll be saved. You'll be a child of God, but you also have the freedom not to repent of your sin, not to place your faith in Christ. And then you've got a different, um, destiny, but whatever you choose, God's already made the rules. God's already determined the consequence. Now it's just a matter of which one you're going to choose. But that doesn't take any of his sovereignty away. When he, he, out, he, he, he sets all the rules up of the game, <laughs> the yeah. game of life. And you can't break any of his rules. But within those rules, he gives you the freedom to play the game. And uh, so that's a, what I call totalitarian.
1: Well, maybe before we uh, look at the other, the remaining three, let's take a quick break here.
0: Hello, I'm Richard Blackaby, and I'm the author of The Seasons of God. And I want to introduce you into a six week online class that Blackaby Ministries International is offering, where I'll be walking with you to understand how God has designed our life to flow through seasons. Life's not meant to be lived in a straight line, the same thing day after day. God constantly is introducing new things and changes and adjustments. He's starting certain things and he's ending other things. And it can often confuse you. This class will walk through how our life flows through seasons. And I think you'll be surprised to look back on your life and realize God has been doing amazing things ever since you were born. And he's got some wonderful things still in store for you in the days to come.
1: Well, so far we've, we've looked at four different ways um, that people perhaps misunderstand the ways of God. You've, you've broken them down into different models of God in your book, The Ways of God, which is what we're talking about today. Um, you mentioned the Greek model, uh, the God in a bottle, uh, the laissez-faire God, and the totalitarian God. um what there's three more there are wait there's
0: more (laughs) (laughs) Um, call now the uh, fifth one i just called the political god and that just means you know if you think about modern politics uh it's based on getting out the votes uh, uh, winning people to your uh perspective it's it's who you know it's uh how many people you get on your side, um making promises and, and getting people uh to embrace your vision and and your agenda. And there's a lot of people that feel almost as if that's how God works too. It's uh you know, I, I they can say, well, I really believe that God wants our church to do this. And now we have to really get out there and and talk to lots of people and win them over. <laughs> it's like I I've seen this a lot of building campaigns. It's like, well, God told us to build a building. We're, we're sure God's going to provide for it. But now we have to go to every solitary family and sit down with them in their living room and challenge them to pledge uh, as much as they possibly can. And, uh, and, or, you know, we're, we really want the church to approve something. So, uh, we're going to start a whole campaign and we're going to go to all the influencers and we're going to get them on board and we're going to sell the vision and um, and you begin to think, well, wait a minute, how is that different than an atheist organization? We're, we're, it, it sounds like God works uh, with us the same way an atheist organization would work. We're, we're doing all the same things. Uh, isn't it different? And, and I, you know, I think, and, and this can get a little sensitive, but I think sometimes we feel that way, even about how God, you know, if God's going to reform, uh, or bring revival to America, for instance. Uh, well, that's great, and God does bring revival to nations and uh, but he does it by his spirit. He does it by repentance of sin. Uh, but there's a lot of Christians today who kind of feel like, well, if God's gonna reform America, it's gonna be because we got out the votes and we elected the right politicians and we, Got together or band together, and we we boycotted or uh, companies that we disagree with, and yeah. uh, we just applied uh, political pressure. Uh, and I'm not saying that you you never you know do you you know you don't care about who you vote for or anything. I'm just saying that when you begin uh, to think that God works just the way politicians work, <laughs> you've got a very low view of God. Yeah, uh, God's ways are not our ways, and. Uh, And I've just had many a person that came to me with this grand vision of what they said God wanted uh, them to do, but then everything they were doing sounded like they were running for Congress more than they were trusting in God Mm. and walking by faith. And so... Uh, and that becomes a common one, and you see some churches that just basically yeah. function that way, where it's all about well, who's for it, who's against it. We've, hey, we, I just want you to know the people we've already lined up that are going to support uh, this effort, and so we hope we can count on your support as well. And, and again, I'm not saying you never, uh, you know, talk to folks about what you want to do, but uh, but oftentimes we take all the same campaigning and trusting in people and influential people getting the right person in the right place. Um, and we treat that as if that's the way God gets his work done too. And God can often use the small, the weak, the despised, uh, the least likely, um, th- because God wants to demonstrate his power, not our political acumen. And uh, if if getting God's work done is is the very same as any other uh you know, social kind of, uh, campaign in society today, uh, then, then we've got, again, too low a view of God. Uh, God's ways are higher than ours, bigger than ours. Uh, and God's ways bring glory to him. Yeah. If you just have, uh, uh, and I remember years and years ago, uh, my dad and I were in a meeting and a man came up and he, he openly admitted that he used political means to get, uh, to accomplish his goals and purposes. I mean, he would tell you that. He had a a large database. He had all kinds of mail-outs, and he uh, encouraged people to vote in certain ways uh, Mm. and and at certain events. And it was all about just getting the mail-outs and getting people on them and supporters and so on. And I'll never forget, and this person was just a classic example of, using the world's methods to accomplish what he thought were God's purposes. Um, but but I remember he, I'll never forget this man, looked at my dad and he said, Henry, anyway, uh, everywhere I go, I hear people talking about experiencing God. He said, uh, how do you explain your influence? And I, it was such a fascinating question. And I remember my dad just looked at the man for a moment, because this guy was all about influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, But his influence came from large databases and mail-outs and uh, constantly mobilizing his lieutenants uh, to do his bidding. And he couldn't figure out a guy without any of that. uh, Everywhere he went, his life was having an influence. And so he asked, well, how do you explain your influence? And uh, my dad had just looked at him for a moment and then just said, God. That's all he said was God. And the guy just kind of looked at him bewildered, just didn't. And this guy's a Christian. Who believed in God? He just thought, yeah God's up there in heaven, but we're the ones who've got to get the campaign out yeah. and uh, go door to door and um, and so again, that's you have to really think that through, but that's um, an area where I think we we need to think carefully, are we doing things God's ways or the world's ways? and a sixth one is kind of similar to that, but I call it the business like God. And that is, well, we just think that God does his work uh, through commonly accepted business practices. (laughs) Uh, And so if you're starting a church, then you find the best uh, real estate, you do the best marketing campaign, uh, you develop the highest quality uh, worship team and uh, streamlined uh, services, everything's professional. And, And if you just kind of do everything, uh, the way that the world would do it, if you just think, well, where would Starbucks put, uh, put their next store? Well, let's let's put a church there. Uh, that's where the traffic is. That's a you know high volume street that uh, that it's placed on. Um, what kind of signage would they use? What kind of lighting would they use? Uh, what kind of background music would they be playing? Let's just let's just do all the things that are making businesses successful, and that'll make our church successful.
1: Well, and that's an industry too. Huh? It's a cottage industry of like. Helping churches yeah. stay up with the, whatever the yeah. church trends are.
0: Now There's all kinds of consultants. That's what <laughs> yeah. they do is say, here's what is the latest trend in Hollywood or Disney World or something. And uh, and you need to do that, too. It will really help you get more foot traffic in the door.
1: Or even just here's the latest trend at this big church. And yeah. This is what the big churches are doing. And so, yeah. you know, we think you can do that here, too.
0: And you know, what happens sometimes is that you'll see a church that just takes off and grows and it, it's the kind of the, the hot new church in town and everybody's going there. And then a couple of years later, you find out, well, the pastor has been addicted to drugs or to alcohol or to uh, to sex or to something else the whole time he's been growing that church. And you And then you realize, well, was the Holy Spirit growing that church or was it just Popular business methodology that he was using, and just working a system uh, yeah. to to get a crowd, but not maybe necessarily to start a church. And so um, again, that doesn't mean that you know you don't run your business according to good business principles. But just understand, as a Christian, uh, you do things. You don't always do things the same way the world does, uh, even mm-hmm. when it comes to running a business there are Christians that discover, well, as a Christian, I can't just do what maybe my competitors do, uh, because I'm going to do things God's way. And you're going to have to have God kind of unpack that for you and show you the difference. Um, and then the last one is what I just call the military model. And that is, uh, that there are some Christians that just, it just seems like they're in perpetual conflict. They're always at war with uh infidels and with the heretics and they're trolling them they're campaigning against them they're wishing uh their rivals harm uh they're spreading rumors and lies and innuendos uh misrepresenting people and uh what they've written or what they've said uh just to bring them down and uh and they they feel like it's a they're on a righteous crusade uh to fight against uh lies and against the forces of evil uh but it it becomes kind of tiresome just when you're around them because they just constantly want to tell you how bad everybody else is and all the things they're doing to to harm the enemy and i i i it's sad but it's true you you know you you announce we're going to have a prayer meeting to pray for those that we disagree with and they'll be too busy but you you uh, declare a new crusade to fight against uh uh Liberals or whoever it is you might be fighting against, and all of a sudden certain people come running because uh they're they're always up for a good fight and yeah. and their mantra is, "I must be doing something right, look at all the people who are angry with me yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah. they just uh, claim that as spiritual warfare and not
1: you know just being a terrible person,
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh you know that doesn't mean of course that you tolerate things that are evil, but uh life God God, uh, in fact, he says in Ephesians six, for we our, 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 our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against, you know, spiritual powers and forces. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yet we often ignore that part and just, we're constantly fighting against flesh and blood against people. And, um, and I, I, I you know, I, th- maybe that's your calling, but, um, uh, that, that certainly wasn't. I mean Jesus had his own conflicts, but you you don't ever see him looking for it <laughs> yeah the trouble comes for him. The Pharisees come and confront him. he's not out there hunting down the Pharisees uh trying to condemn them and call them out. He's busy going about his father's business uh, and if he's confronted you know he'll he'll re- respond in truth, but uh you never get the sense he t- he takes delight in that that's mm-hmm. not, that's not where he gets his joy uh by Confronting lies, he he enjoys speaking truth and setting people free, uh, and so again, that's another one. And and just watch certain people; you'd honestly would think that their their God is a general, General Patton. That's just always on the offense, always going to war, um, and they and that's how they view God. And so, if that's how you view God, then that's what you're going to expect him uh, to have you do all the time as well. And so, mm-hmm. those are just some examples of where uh, if you have the wrong view of God, you're going to assume God's going to behave in a way in your life uh, that may not be uh, really according to what he's really like. And so you're going to get confused when you go to war on behalf of a militaristic God, and then he doesn't bless uh, your efforts, or you suffer casualties, or you lose your job, or And you'll think, well, wait a minute, God, I was fighting this war for you. And God might say, well, I wasn't, that's not even my war you're fighting. Uh, Why weren't you just listening to my voice and doing what I told you to do?
1: Well, good, Richard. This is, uh, again, it's always uh, helpful. And and I think think a lot of people will be blessed uh, by this book. And uh, we will leave links to this. You can uh, pre-order if you're listening to this before it comes out. Again, April 18th is uh, the release date for this book. And uh, we'll leave it there